Welcome to the Courtside Hoops podcast with Reg and Buckets. Uh, I'm Reg and I'm joined by Buckets via Zoom. Buckets, how are you? I'm good. Nice, uh, bit of a change up, a midweek uh, recording on Wednesday night. Midweek and uh, some of the first round is already over. Some teams have already moved on um, and others are, others are still battling. So I thought uh, for this, this pod um, to try and not make our listeners have to go through hours and hours of us rambling on, um, that that we would pick one topic each and um, and go through it. So um, I might throw to you for your first topic or series or something from um, from from I guess the last week since we we did one of these pods. Yeah, right. So um, let's start with the the Lakers Portland series. Um, that's obviously one that I'm following very very closely. Um, I might throw to you first, um, just to see just your initial thoughts over the first uh, four games of that series. Yeah, so I actually went back and listened to our predictions pod, <laughs> um, and I did I did predict that Portland would get one of the first couple of games right in their their sort of hot streak, I guess. Um, but I also said that they would go to six. I I think it's going to be all over tomorrow, especially with Dame out. Um, I, I I think it's it's all said and done, and I think. Um, I think, yeah, I mean, there was a massive overreaction after game one, um, but people were talking about sweeps and all kinds of things, which was just ridiculous. Um, shout out Charles Barkley. Um, <laughs> and, um, yeah, otherwise I, th- I thought, you know, the Lakers have, have really, I think they've gotten better every single game. Like, I think it, they, they started pretty ordinary, just didn't have a good shooting shooting game, and they sort of flicked the switch, or, or the, the script, I guess, pretty quickly in that, now their their defense has picked up, and Portland are the team struggling um, to shoot a, a decent clip. Um, so, uh, but yeah, I've really enjoyed the series, and I've really enjoyed seeing. Uh, this is what I expected. I expected the Lakers to to sort of still be trying to find their their groove a bit, um, and I think their adjustments that they've made have been great in the series. Um, they've really tried to make other players other than Dame beat them. Um, and whilst other guys have, have popped up here and there, um, they're just not not on the same level. Um, and you know, t- so it's not overly surprising to me. Um, but I did think that, that the Blazers might get um, to get one more game. So that's my that's my initial thoughts on on that series. Yeah, that's that's the go. So this is what I love about playoff basketball is. The roller coaster of emotions that, that people go through and the media goes through from game to game. Um, I, I love how the narrative with LeBron's teams, whenever they're in the playoffs, when the team beats them, it's because LeBron didn't play well and he didn't lead his team and this, that, and the other. And then when they do win, it's because the team that they're playing is no good. Portland's gone from one of the greatest eight seeds in the history of the NBA because they've been able to get two of their best players back in the bubble um, from injury and everything like this to winning that first game and everyone saying that you know the Lakers are no good and this, that and the other to now, oh, the Lakers should have swept them. They never should have let Portland get one game you know, they're, they're outmatched. Portland's not an 8 seed. They should have never been there. Like, just, it's it's amazing how that changes based on the results whenever LeBron's involved. Um, so I, I really enjoy seeing that. What I really <laughs> like is 
game ones are always a feel out game. And although you want to win, you don't want to go, you know, 0-1 in a series, but it's almost better losing that first game because whenever you, if you win a game, you're never going to critique your your team and your performance as much as you lose a game. As much as you might say, you know, it's only one game, we'll go and watch film and we'll make adjustments, you're always going to look more deeply if you're the team that loses. And you can see that's what's happened here. Lakers come out, they didn't play well in game one. Portland were continuing on with what they did to get into the playoffs. They played really well, hit big shots down the stretch. Lakers went away, watched film, and you could see the noticeable adjustments in game two. They started attacking Dame Lillard higher up, like almost as soon as he crossed half court, they were sending the double team to get the ball out of his hands because they saw what happened in game one, that if you allow him to dictate and be comfortable in the offense and get to his spots, he's going to be able to hit enough shots and big shots to to beat you. So we're not going to make this series a a mono-e-mono. We're going to make someone else beat us. So you can see that 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 adjustment and how that's taken Portland out of their game because they're not comfortable running their offense because they're not used to having the ball in other people's hands. They're so used to Dame running the show that now getting the ball out of his hands and attacking that double team, it just makes other guys so much more uncomfortable to really know what to do. And you can see that from a team that averaged nearly 120 points a game to now they're being held to, to just over 100. So... You know, that's where the good teams separate themselves from the great teams in playoffs, is being able to look at look at game to game, make the necessary adjustments, and then execute those to change the momentum of the series. Because it's gone from Portland going being up one, thinking, yep, they're riding with the show, to now three games later, everyone can see that the Lakers are a far better team when they're playing up to their potential. Yeah, completely agree, and I think um, I think that uh, it is funny how people chop and change to support whatever view they're trying to get across. Um, yeah, the, I mean that happens in every single argument, you know, about everything, um, and, and and it probably is more more on LeBron more than anyone else, um, I guess, because he is the face of the NBA. Um, that they, you know, certain guys will will. Yeah, to um, turn the story their way in a in a positive way. Others will turn it in a negative way. Like it's just, you know, you got to take those things as they come. Enjoy them as a bit of you know, bit of banter, bit of debate. Um, but you can't get bogged down too much in them because there's some idiots out there. Shout out Skip Bayless, um, who <laughs> just just you know they they make a a living and and get a kick out of being fools. <laughs> is pretty much the way to say it. It's it's gone. It's you know, Skip Bayless, like, credit where credit's due. There's no Stephen A. Smith. There's no Shannon Sharp. There's no Nick Wright, Colin Coward. None of those guys would exist without Skip. Like, he was the first one to to really make that debate-style show popular. And yep. he's really rode that wave of being, you know, quote-unquote, a LeBron hater. Um, and that really... What happened in 2011 in the Dallas series that took his, uh, basically his platform to the next level because it was like, oh my God, we all thought he was silly the way he was killing LeBron all those years and now it looks like he was right. And then LeBron then just proceeded to make eight straight NBA finals after that and win just three titles and things. It's now, you know, 
Skip should have basically called it a day after 2016 because I feel like that was at the time when all these arguments against LeBron about not being clutch, not being able to lead a team, not being able to win without Dwayne Wade or a super team and this, that and the other and, and only beat teams that were less than him and all this sort of stuff. After 2016, all those arguments were gone because he proved that he could win without Dwayne Wade. He could lead a team. He went back home. He beat a team that won 73 games, hit clutch shots. Yeah, all the things that he ever said he'd done. I feel like the last three years and especially the last 12 months, like everyone can just see that it's like he's just an act now. Like he's just a clown on TV that, you know, has this narrative that he has to follow on from now, even though we, the arguments are silly. Like, we joke around now when we watch games and we see the result that we can predict what Skip Bayless is going to say <laughs> the next day. Yep. Because he's just going to he's gonna manipulate what's happened to, to fit what he's trying to do. And it's just silly. And he's, he's in such a bad spot now because he hates LeBron and he also has beef with Dane Lillard. So he doesn't know where to go with this series because if one's going well, then the other one's not. So he's caught between which one am I going to hate more? Yep, yep. I, I agree. And I, the thing that annoys me the most about Skip is there's analysts out there who um, will praise... Uh, well, first of all, give credit where credit's due. And it's almost like since that 2011 finals, he hasn't been able to give credit where credit is due. Um, when it comes yeah. to LeBron. Um, but secondly, he, his whole approach to debate is to bring people down rather than praise other people up. He, he, he always takes yeah. the negative view of things rather than the positive view. Rather than saying, Dame, you know, like for example, he's like, oh, Dame's playing real bad or blah, blah. Rather than saying, the defense is just fantastic on Damian Lillard. They're just doing a really good yeah. job on Dame. Like his approach is always the negative and that gets draining after a while. Um, you know, there's only, there's only so much of it that you can watch. And you're right, we, it's almost like a, a, um, a, you, you could put money on what he's going to say after, after something happens. And it's spot on every single time. And so it'd be interesting to see if... if I don't know how, how they rate, but I'm not sure if, the, if his ratings are up or down over the years. But for me, like I've, I've stopped watching. Um, I sort of just get a laugh out of seeing things here and there. But watching religiously, I just... It's not not the kind of person I, I want to listen to and I don't really think my life is any worse off because I don't listen to him. No, that's right. And I, no, like, I, I must admit, I watch Undisputed a fair bit. Um, I, I think Shannon Sharp is very entertaining and also, you know, he's a LeBron lover, so um, yeah. he's going to agree on most things. But I, I find him very entertaining the way he speaks and, and also, you know, getting some insight from him in terms of how he views what... NBA players doing how it was for him as an NFL player in, in different situations and things. And I like when they have Chris Broussard on there to, to get a bit of objectivity in terms of... His yeah, Chris is, good. And it, Chris is good. Remember I like Chris is good. Like, when they used to have Steven Jackson and ex-players, I think they had Kenyon Martin. Like, I like it when they get those guys on there. Matt Barnes, they used through, to have. Fast forward through Skip these days. Um, because I, I, you know, to me, it's just it's just a joke. What he says, it's just like, oh, yeah, I've heard this for for ten years, and we we all know it, it doesn't make any sense, um, type of thing. So, yeah, it's it, it's funny when you brought him up. I thought we, we might. Uh, <laughs> we we didn't want to give Skip Bayless this much airtime. This is not what know, we wanted to do. So <laughs> we're, part, we're part of the problem, aren't we? We are. We are. I'll throw back to the Lakers 
um, Blazers series. And I've got a question for you. Yeah. Outside of um, LeBron and AD, yeah. who has impressed you the most? On the Lakers, that is. Look, I could probably throw a blanket over five guys. Um, going into this season, the for me, the formula for the Lakers to be successful and to win a championship... They need certain things from their role guys. And those things were you need Dwight and JaVale McGee at the center positions to basically be averaging 15 points and 15 rebounds between them. Um, whether that's one guy having 10 and 10 and another guy not or splitting it 50-50, they, they need to control the boards and they need to give us, you know, five, five to six buckets at, on putbacks and alley-oops and things like that. And then you need your guard play to be, to be able to hit, you know, one to two threes a game at above a 33% clip. So um, that's your Kyle Kuzma's, your Danny Green's, your Avery Bradley's before he left, KCP. That's what you needed to, to be a championship team because you've got two guys in LeBron and AD that are unguardable. So that that's said. And between those guys, they're, they're going to average between 50 and 60 points a game between 15 and 20 rebounds a game and between 15 and 20 assists a game between those two guys. So you just need those those complementary pieces to do their role and to do their job. So, you know, I've, I, Kyle Kuzma, Danny Green, KCP, and then Dwight and JaVale, for me, all five of those guys are doing exactly what they need to do. Kyle Kuzma's shooting just over 37% from three and making just under two a game. Danny Green shooting 40% from three and making two a game, and KCP's at 39% and making two a game. So that's exactly what you need. You know, get six threes between those guys because you know they're going to be getting good looks when you've got AD and LeBron out there. So they've just got to be able to knock them down. And between Dwight and JaVale, they're um, both averaging about seven and a half points and about eight rebounds each. So tick, 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 all the way down the line with your roll guys. So since game one, those those five guys are doing exactly what they need to do for us to be successful. And then anything you get from your other guys like your Dion Waiters or your Morrises, um, when Rondo comes back, they're sort of a bonus. But those five guys are going to be playing a majority of your minutes. And if they can continue to do those things, then Lakers are going to be in a really, really good position. So... I can't sort of separate those five guys because they're all doing what their job is to do as role players on that team. So what about you? Who's impressed you? Yeah, I I'd prob- I'd, I thought that um, all their role players have, have had their moments. Um, so I think you're right. I think it's hard to sort of say, well, you know, this particular person has really stood out. Um, I think the difference, a huge difference between that first game and obviously the one since is that these guys are hitting their open shots. You know, when, when they're found and they're open, the shooters are shooting and they're knocking them down. Um, yeah, they're playing a bit more within the flow of the game. It's not it's not so um, disheveled like it was, I guess, in game one. It sort of looked like they had no idea what was going on out there. These are the role players I'm talking about. Um, yes. And they've learned... I, I, think, I think, again, we, we forget that there was such a big break between the end of the regular season and this, and then the eight seeding games for the Lakers weren't really that important. It was more about yeah. just, you know, you know, getting a bit of a, getting a bit of run through the legs and that. So I still think that chemistry is, is building for them. Um, and I think it's, it's been better and better every game. And I think that's going to continue as, as they go through, through the playoffs. So, um, but I agree. I, there's no one who's really stood out for me. I mean, I'm interested to see when Rondo comes back because I do think he gives them um, another uh, veteran who, 
you know, another distributor, um, you know, just a guy who can take a bit of the the creation off um, off of LeBron. Um, so it'd be interesting. When, when is he due back? Um, so I think know? he's day to day. Okay, so, so he's close. He's back in, yeah. So he's back in. He's done his quarantine and everything like that. Yeah. Um, and I think they may just be feeling out to see how the series is going. Um, given the, the way the last three games have gone, I'd be surprised if they brought him back. Um, you know, maybe if they lose game five, he may come back for, for game six. Um, but yeah, I think at the moment, you know, when you think about it in terms of just when you talk about chemistry, when you take your starter, Avery Bradley out, and then obviously Rondo being hurt, then you have to reshuffle. Like they've been used to playing sort of 60 odd games with this guy, you know, as your starting point guard. So then you know what the backup rotations are going to be. And then you've got a guy in the second unit in Rondo. You lose those two guys, then you're shuffling around. So guys are getting used to, okay, normally I would come in at, say, the six-minute mark of the first quarter, I'm playing with X, Y, and Z. Now they might be coming in at the four-minute mark and they're playing with different guys because they're reshuffling those lineups. So um, I think that's taken a little bit to adjust to um, and they'll probably have to do a bit more adjustment once Rondo comes back. Um, But I think they're they're starting to find that, um, that good balance and... As you say, they're hitting their open shots and that makes a huge difference just for confidence and flow that, you know, they're seeing the ball go in, so they've got the confidence. They're not hesitating on shots, which makes your offense flow better because you know, okay, we're running this set. You give someone an open look and they hesitate, then the play gets all a bit mush-mush and then you sort of kick it to a LeBron or an AD and say, go one-on-one. So, you know, it's amazing how just hitting open shots and taking open shots just makes everything flow a lot better in your offense. Yeah, hundred percent. I think you're spot on with um, with Avery Bradley, and I think this this is something that is so often overlooked in the NBA that just because a guy might not be averaging a, a high number of points or a high number of assists or anything like that, what they can do for a team's chemistry and just being in the right spots. Um, and a guy like Avery Bradley, obviously defense first sort of player, um, yeah, his role is to do the little bits and pieces that don't necessarily show up. So people think, oh, he's not playing, no biggie, didn't average that many points, blah, blah. It's not always about that, you know? It's about how you you fit in the team and how you make the team um, better because you're there just by being, you know, a good chemistry sort of guy. A bit of a glue guy type thing that Avery Bradley is. You know, he's never... Never going to be the star of a team, but never going to be you know the worst player. He's sort of right in that middle, and and you know helps teams um, compete and win. So obviously he he is a big loss. And you're right, they, it was also had him all season, and now it's like now we don't have him. We're now going to try and shuffle and find that chemistry mix again, that balance, um, which I think That's again they they're getting better and better at. Um, one more question I got for you, with which I've seen so many things on social media about that I had to ask you. Um, who, if, if there was one shot on the Lakers to win a game, who is taking the shot for you? Because I have seen so many different people's names. An open shot. Who's taking it to win the game for the Lakers? Gee, that's, to me, it's very much situational. If it's, if it's, a, if it's a tied game and, and there's, say, 20 seconds left on the clock... Every single NBA game I see, all they do is they bring it up the court and then they stand at half court and wait, you know, 18 seconds and then they go and make their move and, you know, take the last shot, which I get. It's a tied game. Either you make the shot or and you win or you miss the shot and you go to overtime. If it's that situation where you're just standing around for 15 seconds and then trying to go one-on-one, 
I never want the ball in LeBron's hands because that's not his game. He's not a one-on-one, you know, standard half court and then try to make a one-on-one move. That, that's KD, Kobe, Kyrie. That, that's, that's what they're good at. He just gets himself in awkward positions whenever that sort of thing happens and normally shoots an off-balance, you know, fadeaway three or something like that. So in that situation, I'd give the ball to Kyle Kuzma or AD. I think they'd be better in that situation, um, especially if you could get the ball at, say, the elbow in AD's hands and he could face up. Um, if it's if it's where there's, say, five seconds left and you can just give the ball to LeBron, he doesn't have to think, he just has to make his move and shoot, then I'd give the ball to LeBron. Um, so, yeah, the, those two situations, if it's a quick fire, just got to either take a couple of dribbles and raise up or just catch and shoot, I want the ball in LeBron's hand because he doesn't have to think. He can just catch it in rhythm and make his shot. If it's one where you're waiting for the shot clock to run down, then I'm giving it to either Kyle Kuzma outside the three-point line or I'm giving it to AD at the elbow. Let him face up and see what see what he can do. Yeah, it's interesting because I, the, the one that surprised me, um, I mean, obviously you got LeBron and AD are the obvious two choices. Uh, yeah. But the one I seemed to see a lot of was Kyle Kuzma. So I was just wondering what you thought about that um, and probably because he does have that sort of that ability I guess to hit tough shots and you know dribble dribble down and then drive in and you know throw something up and um, it was just I've right. watched a lot of him so I was kind of like oh that's surprising that a lot of people would, would choose him but then I guess context is always important yeah and he's one of his strengths is shot making and shot creating yeah so a lot of people look at this clutch gene like it's this special thing that certain players have it's not that it's generally at the end of games teams don't generally run plays if if there's 20 seconds to go or there's no shot clock they don't generally run plays they just go and give it to a player and and say you go one-on-one and create a shot and make a shot so when people say oh he's not clutch it's just maybe that that's like tim duncan is one of the greatest players of all time but you're not going to see a huge array of um, him hitting buzzer-beating shots because generally you're not passing down to the low post and making them hold the ball for 15 seconds while the clock runs down. Same with guys like Shaq. The, the ones that you see all the highlights are your Kobe Bryant, your Kyrie Irving, your Kevin Durant. Guys, that their, their, their game, their biggest strength is one-on-one shot-making, shot-creating because at the end of games, that's, that's what happens at the end of shot clocks that you give it to a guy to go one-on-one. So one-on-one players are generally your most clutch players. So, yeah. you know, he's, he's probably the best in on, on the Lakers in terms of just that one-on-one type of play because LeBron tends to think too much about what's going on. So he thinks, you know, you know, do I, I, I'm supposed to take the shot. They're going to kill me if I don't take the shot. So he, he takes these awkward shots or he passes the ball off to a guy that's open and then gets killed for it if they miss the shot. Yeah. Know? So, um, yeah, it's just that's just my opinion on the whole thing. Is this this whole clutch thing is is not so much, you know, who's got the mental fortitude. It's it's more about what's what's a player's strength makes them more clutch. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess final final question. This is just a one that's just come to mind actually recently. If you could have a any role player in the league on the Lakers right now, who would it be? Ooh, good question. Any role player? Yeah, I think it'd be hard to go past Lou Williams. 
in Ooh. terms of just role players, just because yep. the the ability to 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 be able to go to the bench and have a guy come in that can just continue to run the scoreboard up um, is is huge in playoffs because playoffs is such a game of runs. So if you can get your starters um, on a good run and, and say they get up by eight to ten points and then they go to the bench, generally what happens is the other team, um, if they keep one of their stars on the floor or have a better second unit, can then go on a run and they can bring it back um, to you know two points or even take the lead and things like that. If you can have a guy coming off the bench and you get him up by eight to ten and then he can either keep it at eight to ten or push it to 14 or 16 points in that second unit, just takes so much pressure off off your stars in the playoffs. You know, it's he's just he, he's the, he's the biggest worry when you cover him against the Clippers because you know I feel like you can handle um, the the Clippers starters and you can game plan for them, but it's very difficult to game plan for a guy that can give you 35 plus in the second unit. Yeah, because he's he's kind of a, a starter who's just made his career at becoming off the bench. <laughs> like he's good enough 100%. to start in majority of the teams in the league. But he's 100%. just em- embraced and played that six-man role better than, than anybody else, really, in, in history. Yeah, he's a st- starter talent in a reserve team. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I, my thought, I've gone to sort of a different approach to who, like my initial thought was who would best, who do I think would best fit around AD and LeBron? And JJ Reddick comes to mind um, as yes. a guy who can just space the floor. Um, you just can't leave him. Um, you know, it's he's just going to give you shooting at a, at a very good clip. Um, at this stage of his career, very, very savvy. Um, you know, and I just think he'd be a perfect fit for the Lakers if they could somehow get his hand, get, they get their hands on him. Um, oh, absolutely. It would be, you know, it would be unreal. Um, so, and you made uh, you made a good point um, before too that you can't underestimate just how important it is for guys to be in the right spots on both defense and offense. A veteran guy like that that you know when you run a set, he's going to be in the right place at the right time on defense. He's going to he's going to make sure he hits the assignments. He's not going to get lost. You know that sort of stuff is is so important. So that was a really good point you made. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 something that that you just don't think of, you know, because it's not a stat or anything like that. But you can just yeah. see guys who um, are in the right spots, and you can also see guys who it's like this guy just has no idea what's going on. Like he's always yeah. in the wrong spot, and yeah, that's why he like breaks down. Yeah, and it's amazing how often they're the young guys because they just don't have that experience or haven't been around long enough yet that when a play's broken down, it's like okay, I can see what's going on here. I just need to move over here, you know, and. Yeah. Um, and I'll get an open look, or I'll be out of the way at least, so that that person can do that. It's almost seen things before that. The game slows down, you know, as you get get older in the league and, and learn more, um, and then you can pick your spots um, a bit better. So, um, yeah, I, I guess you just think it's all over tomorrow. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. think um, yeah. Obviously, game four they really started to, you know, that's probably Lakers as best we've seen since the the start up, and even looked. <laughs> You know, like they were before things broke down when they, you know, took care of the Bucks and the Clippers that last weekend. So, yeah, you know, AD's got his confidence up after Game One. LeBron, we all know what LeBron was going to do. Roll guys are feeling good about themselves. They're hitting shots. Yeah, I think, and unfortunately for for Portland, I think that it's just run out of steam for them. And now they've lost Damian Lillard. We know that CJ's obviously got his back. So, yeah, I think unfortunately. 
the trains just run out of gas for them and it was a nice run but um yeah we'll move on to the next round yes yes we will all right we'll move to our second topic uh my choice and i couldn't go past luca mania uh so yes. luca Doncic, the dallas mavericks versus la clippers um uh, series and I guess it's not just Luca, but it's also the way Paul George has been. Like, there's been a lot of um, topics, I guess, come out of this this series. Um, what's your initial thoughts on on, on the series? Yeah, well, the first one, it, it, Luka Doncic, like special special player. Um, I, I don't think you can overstate what he's done um, in his first playoff series. Um, you know, at 21 years of age, to be averaging, and I think he's, I think it is, or close to a triple double. You know, 42 points in his first game, the most points in in his first two games, um, second only to George Mikan back in I think 1948 or something like that. You know, whenever you're beating a record held by Kareem in scoring, you know it's it's legit. So, you know, I, I just think. For a guy at that age, um, and I, I'm not sure if the bubble has something to do with it because you don't have the fans there or anything like that, to be, but to be able to perform against a team like the LA Clippers that you know, everyone talks about, you know, the best wing defenders since Jordan's Bulls and all this sort of stuff, to be doing what he's doing, like, he's just busting them all. And, you know, it, I don't say this lightly, but to me, he's the best 21-year-old the league's ever seen. You know, as good as LeBron was um, during his younger days, what he's done this series and that game four, coming off the bad ankle, 43 points, 17 rebounds, 13 assists, and the game winner. You know, that's just, that's, that's the stuff that is just, we'll look back on in 20 years' time, and they will be the legendary moments of the playoffs. You know, they'll, they'll be up there with the, the biggest shots that, that anyone hits. I know it's only the first round that it was only a game four, but, you know, that's just... It, it's it's generational talent that you just don't see um, all the time. And at 21 years of age, you just wonder what, what the ceiling is for a guy like that. Yeah, I completely agree. It's it, He's been incredible. Um against a very, very good defensive team, as you mentioned. Um, two elite defenders in Kawhi and Paul George. And yet the guys, I've um, just look, got it got now, putting up 29.6 points per game um, on just under 50% shooting. 10 rebounds, 8.6 assists. Um, his turnovers are high, but you know he's trying to do everything out there. So yeah. that's, to, that's to be expected. But I... I think I, um, yeah, I had um, uh, Clippers went in this series in six, um, but I'm even surprised by how competitive Dallas have been. Um, and I, what, what I really like about Dallas and, and what I think they've really surprised me at in this postseason is they don't, aside from obviously Luca and, um, and Chris Stapps, they've just got a bunch of role players, but all those guys seem to really enjoy their role and play their role pretty well. Um, you know, Tim Hardaway, Seth Curry, um, uh, that, that, uh, I always forget that guy, um, fin, Finney Smith or Finney, Finney Smith. Finney or, Smith, yep. <laughs> yeah. All these guys I didn't even know existed and now here they are Lima. on the big stage. That's right. Um, I just love the way that they, that they're like, I'm, we're going to give the ball to Luca. Okay. Luca's going to create. If I get in the right spot, he will find me. Uh, Maxi Kleber, another example. Big Boban. <laughs> had his, Boban, had his, yes. had his moments. 
Um, but yeah, obviously, uh, uh, if we were talking about before today, I'd be a bit more upbeat about him. But I was a bit concerned with with what I saw today. Um, it, it wasn't. A, it was one of those games. Just wasn't. It really looked like the difference between a, a second seed and a seventh seed. Um, and Luca was clearly struggling to um, to keep that momentum going and and whatnot. Um, one thing, I, a couple of things I do want to bring up as part of the series. Um, the first one is Kristaps missing uh, the last game, and this one with with a um, a knee knee soreness. Um, I guess I just wanted to know your thoughts on players being sore and playing through it at this point in the um, the playoffs. Yeah, look, you know, obviously from, you know, if I was a teammate of, of a guy um, and you, you're into the playoffs, you want guys that are going to play through pain. They're going to leave it all out on the floor and do, you know, whatever they can to help the team win. Um, I understand from um, Paul Zingas' perspective, his history of, of injuries. So that has to play a part. You don't want anyone doing anything um, that's going to jeopardise their availability long term. Um, you know, I think that, that'd be silly. Like you look at, you know, obviously KD last year, you know, they didn't know that that was going to happen. But, you know, you could say if, if, if Porzingis was to say, okay, I'm going to play through this knee soreness and then comes out and does an ACL or an MCL and then that affects him next season, you know, was it the right thing to do? So I think in that instance, you, you, you trust the medical staff and if they say, look, you're at risk of doing long-term damage or more damage to this injury, um, it's best to sit out, then I think, you know, you, as a teammate, you think, yep, that's the smart play. If it's just pain, and they, you know, where you know they have injuries, where they say, "Look, it's going to be sore, it's it's going to swell up," or you know, you, we can jab it up, and then after the game, you're going to be in excruciating pain, but you'll you'll be able to numb it during the game and get through. Um, you can't do any more damage um, structurally and things like that. Then, as a teammate, you say, "Well, okay, it's the playoffs, let's go." But if it's something where they could do more damage um, and and affect them, you know, long term, then you know the smart play is to sit out. So and with his you know history, it's probably the smart move to to not play in this series, um, given that you know realistically they're pro- probably not at that level of a championship contender yet. So um, you know probably best to sit out. What about you? What are your thoughts? Yeah, I um I was listening to a JJ Reed podcast and he spoke about um, the difference between an injury and soreness or or pain, you know, because everyone's yeah. playing through some level of pain or discomfort when it comes to the playoffs. If a guy is injured and can't go, that's that's fine. I'm not expecting somebody to play with broken leg or something. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's a, it's a different sort of thing. So, and then he spoke about as a teammate, it's almost your head versus your heart. Your heart wants them to play. Your heart wants them to be out there helping you in the trenches. But your head is the one saying, well, hang on a minute. You know, this guy's got to do what's best for him, what's best for his career, what's best long-term for this organization. And yeah, this year might not be the year. Um, and I thought that's a great way of, of putting it because I'm with you. Like, you, as a teammate, you're like, come on, mate. Let's, you know, let's just push through it, you know. Yeah. Let's see what we can do here. You know, we need you. And they need him. They need him. Yes. <laughs> Which is what makes Doncic's game four even more impressive because he wasn't there. Because yeah. today was more what I thought it would be like 
you know, Luca versus the Clippers without you know that sort of second um, second sort of um, star I guess player on the court. Yes. Um, so yeah, it's it's a hard one, and and I'm hoping that um, you know it is just they're just being a bit careful about things um, because I've seen he has copped a bit of criticism about it, particularly after the MRI came back negative, that there wasn't any structural damage. Um, you know, as soon as the media and whatnot sees that, all hell breaks loose. I know very well as a Derrick Rose fan what that's like. <laughs> so, yes. um, yeah. And I guess that the other thing that I wanted to talk about, which is from today's game, was Morris's um, uh, stepping on Lucas's bad on the back of his bad ankle was it intentional? Wasn't it intentional? Um, it, it sort of all all hell broke loose after the game finished on on Twitter and social media. And um, Luca mentioned that he wasn't going to comment on it, but he had his view, and it was quite clearly obvious what his view was. Same with Rick Carlisle. Um, what did you think about about that incident? Um, and I guess the other thing to just for, for context for those who didn't see, Luca and him had been going backwards and forwards a little bit um, in the game in terms of verbal. So um, I guess that can sort of add to the story yeah so you sent me this clip um just before because um i was sort of in and out of the game um during during work today um so i didn't get to see it live um so i didn't actually know what you were talking about um when you asked me about it so i watched it so i went back and i I watched the telecast of that incident because i wanted to see what the commentator said live because it's very you know when you get just you know say a 15 second clip on YouTube or something like that, it's hard to get context as to what was happening in the game and things like that and, and, and what it looked like in just real time and, and, and the um, different angles and things like that. So surprise, I, I, I watched it with um, the TNT commentary, the, the um, Clippers um, commentary and the Mavs commentary. Now, the Clippers commentary, they sort of laughed it off. Um, the shoe fell off. Mavs didn't really say much about it um, on their side. I thought they might be a bit more, um, you know, thinking it was a dirty play. Um, but the most come from TNT and Chris Webber. Um, I'm not sure who the other guy who commentates with Chris Webber is. But they were sort of a bit sort of on the fence about, you know, was it a dirty play? Was it intentional? Was it not? Um, it, it's it's hard to tell from the the high up angle that it shows. It, it does look odd as to why he gets so close to him and happens to step on on his on his shoe and makes him lose his shoe. Um, so I don't want to say was it intentional, was it not. What I will say is if it was intentional, then on for for Luca, he should take that as a badge of honor to be like you are killing these guys so much that you've got a guy trying to do something like that to get you out of the game. They know they can't stop you um, straight up just defensively and playing within the rules. So they're trying to go outside the rules to, to hurt you and get you off the court. So for him, don't forget it, but take it as, you know, they, they can't do anything with you outside of trying to get you off the court injured. And from Morris's point of view, you know, I'm, I'm as competitive as they come and want to win you know, as they say, win at all costs, but within the spirit of the game, and I don't think that sort of stuff is within the spirit of the game. You you want to beat the best at their best. You don't want to... I don't think there's any pride in winning a game if a guy gets hurt and if you were the cause for hurting him. Um, and what I'd really be interested to know is if Morris did do that intentionally. 
wonder what Kawhi's thoughts on that would be. I have nothing further to say because you just put that so perfectly. <laughs> and I agree with everything you said. I thought that was, yeah, very, very well said. And I like the I like the way you went back and watched the different commentaries. That's a really good a good way to look at it because obviously, particularly with the team um, broadcast, they're normally very biased towards their own team. Yes. Um, and I only I only listened to the the Chris Webber version where he was was probably on the side of uh, I'm thinking that's a little bit you know a little bit yeah. too rough there. Uh, he, he sort of sent him more that side than the other side. Yeah, he um, sort of caught himself a bit without. He was sort of going to say, "Oh, that was dirty," and then I think he caught himself and thought, "Oh, I'll." I'll if I shoot off of the mouth now, then everyone will jump on it. He yep. sort of caught himself and thought, oh, I won't say it was intentional because I know that's what everyone will, will harp on. But you just tell that he sort of was a bit, mm, that it was a strange thing. And it's you know, very similar to the um, um, Zaza one. It, it, when you watch it, it's like that's an odd thing for someone to do on a basketball floor. Yep. Yeah, I, I, and I think Rick Carlisle put it perfectly that he has his views. Um, he'll never actually know. Well, we probably, probably, yeah. probably won't ever know if it was intentional or not. Um, you hope it wasn't. And let's move on. You know, keep it. Yeah. No further comment. Because um, it's yeah, it's been over-analyzed something crazy on social media as all these things are these days and you can't escape it. So yes, um, if, if you're going to do the crime, I guess, if it was intentional, then you've got to put up with that because it's going to... It's going to come back to bite you with all these cameras and all these people watching and you know being able to share their views um, on, uh, on on social media. Now, we are uh, getting towards the end, but I thought I'd get a quick uh, um, view from you on Paul George in this series, and particularly in relation to after he made, obviously, the comments about, or carrying on about Damian Lillard missing two free throws um, back in, in um, when they were playing each other. Um, yep versus, I guess, him now. He had a good game today, but otherwise sort of stinking it up a bit. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm glad you did bring this up because I was I was pretty um, on our last pod when we were talking about that, how I hate that sort of thing where, where people that are never in the position are, you know want to make fun of guys that are, that are in the arena and, and are actually up there, you know, under the pressure and things like that, and they want to make fun when they fail. You know, since that time, you know, you've got Patrick Beverly. All he's done in this series is got 52 points put on him in um, the first, uh, 42 points in the first game, and then hasn't played since. So that's how well he's going since he decided to carry on. <laughs> and then Paul George, yes, he's had two good games, game one and then obviously today, but he's had three bad games. So the ledger's still on the bad side of things. So he's stunk it up for three games. And now he's had a couple of good games. So he'd want to continue on that form and continue to play well. Because if you're going to be over there on the sidelines carrying on a Dame Lillard who's been balling out and hasn't had a bad game in the series against Lakers, they're just against a team that's better than them. And then you want to come out and have three of those games that you had in this series. I tell you what, as I said, he's put a target on his back and he's put the pressure on himself that he wants to perform. So it looks like they're going to get out of this series now. But that pressure is just going to get more and more. And as I said, he's had three bad games to two good games. So just because he had a really good game today, he's still on the wrong side of the ledger. So he want to keep playing well, or that ledger is just going to get further and further outweighed on the bad side. 
and he's just making himself look and this is not new this we've seen this type of Paul George as Skip likes to call him George Paul in the playoffs <laughs> so it's the pressure's just going to keep coming for him so what what were your thoughts on it yeah I, I agree I, I was kind of like you know karma what comes around goes around um, yeah. I've never been a big fan of guys who talk the talk but can't walk the walk um, or, or would rather use their voice rather than their actions um, I think it's the easy option to do that um, but then if you're going to do that and you're not going to walk the walk, you got to cop it. Um, and I noticed yeah. on his social media the other day, he was put up something about, you know, oh, I don't know why, you know, I don't care what anyone thinks. Um, it just goes to show that they're thinking of me or something. And I thought, come on, mate, you, you can't have your say and then not take it in reverse. So, yeah, um, yeah he's, he's annoyed me a little bit and I think he's, he's getting his uh, taste of his own medicine. So, um, he certainly is. So before we wrap it up, any other quick comments about the last week? Um, obviously we've had some massive performances um, I will just throw quickly in there that since our last pod the Bulls did get the 4th pick in the draft and I will leave it at that um, jump from 7th to 4th so um, yeah any any other comments from, from you? Uh, no it's just I was, was expected that Brett Brown was going to get fired so it sucks for an Aussie to, to lose his job but the writing was on the wall there you know um, poor performance in the playoffs is going to you know we're a performance based league so Hopefully, you can just concentrate on getting the boom as their first medal at the next Olympics. Yes, absolutely. And I also will throw in um, just quickly the Jamal Murray Donovan Mitchell duel in that series has been remarkable. And I think both those guys have really grown um, before our eyes in the way yeah, they've been they've been balling. Hundred percent. League is in good hands. Absolutely, absolutely. All right, that'll uh, that'll wrap up this one. Once again, a little bit longer than we anticipated, but um, two two big series that we got through. So um, we will um, be back again soon um, with our next pod, and we'll we'll do the same thing. We will pick something to discuss. Um, the first round is, continues. Um, let's hope we do get a couple of game sevens.